0: Have you ever seen a, a student or a staff member who is clearly stuck in, in sort of a negative cycle where they make the same mistake over and over and have to live with the consequences or they, they have an experience, a fixed mindset where they define themselves and have this identity that's just completely uh, described and, and seen through a negative lens? Worse yet, what if you realize that maybe it's you? Maybe it's you, the leader, the educator, the parent. Maybe it's you that caused this individual to be stuck. And that's where we start today. Uh, We have a wonderful conversation that I'm inviting you to listen to with Hannah Beach. And she shares an emotional and gripping story first in this podcast, where as a parent, as a mom, she realized that she was the reason her son was stuck. The good thing is that through the process of journaling and that realization, she was able to do something about it, and the good news is that you can do something about it too. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after a quick message from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply now for our cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com dot com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com dot com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Kateras using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during covid Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Maker. Today I am joined by Hannah Beach, an award-winning educator, author, and keynote speaker. She was recognized by the Canadian Human Rights Commission in 2017 as one of five featured changemakers in Canada. She is the co-author of Reclaiming Our Students, Why Children Are More Anxious, Aggressive, and Shut Down Than Ever, and What We Can Do About It, which released in April 2020. She delivers professional development services across the country and provides emotional health consulting to schools. Hannah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So I'm really uh, excited to, to share this story um, first, and I know you you have a, a personal and I think gripping and emotional story about how we influence kids at times to be stuck in roles, uh, and and sometimes influence them believing uh, something about a negative identity. So can we start there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting for me because I came this this lens I have as an educator sort of started for me um, very personally and a very um, a personal story for me as a parent. And it was it was quite a few years ago, my my eldest son's now 28. Thomas is 28. And of course, I'm biased because I'm his mom, but he's a just absolutely lovely young man and very gentle and, just, you know, beautiful spirit. And I go back 24 years and my son was going through an incredibly aggressive patch really, really aggressive. And I have this memory of going for a walk with him and his sister. He was four, almost four, and his sister was two. And we were walking along. It was a really snowy day and some family had just built a snowman on their front lawn. And Thomas went up to the snowman and took both hands and pushed the head of the snowman off so hard. And uh, the woman of the, uh, who owned the house, the mom of the house, opened the door and started yelling at us what's wrong with your kid? What's, what, get your kids some help. My daughters and I spent all morning making this snowman. And my eyes sort of filled with tears in that moment, A, because I don't like being yelled at, but B, because my son was going through an incredibly aggressive patch and it, it sort of, it struck a nerve, really. It struck a nerve. I had just separated from my children's father and my son's world had been completely turned upside down. And His life as he had known it was different. We were in a different home. The family configuration felt different and he hadn't yet adapted. And he was clearly filled with frustration and this was clearly showing. And I started to parent from this place of fear. I started to remind him every day, Thomas, use your words, not your hands. Thomas, um, don't forget when you go to um, drop in today, make sure you don't do this. Thomas, this, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. And oh my gosh, let me tell you, it just started to increase. It was definitely not getting better. And um, this time in my life, I spent a lot of time journaling. Because for me, that was um, just, I guess, my way of processing. It was a really challenging period of my life. I felt cracked wide open. And I would journal at night, my hopes and my dreams for my future, for my kids. And one night as I was journaling, I realized, oh my goodness, it's actually me. I... I, as the caring leader of this boy, am teaching him to see himself this way. I'm speaking to him as if he's aggressive every day. Thomas, don't forget to use your hands. Thomas, don't be aggressive. Thomas, this, Thomas. And I realized, holy smokes. And this was, honestly, it was like such a big, um, so, so, so hard to swallow as a a moment. Like it was so hard to look at that. And I, if I'm being honest, it was... um, I had a lot of tears. It was a really hard moment to see what I was doing as the leader of the child teaching him to see himself this way and so I just stepped back and I thought, I need to imagine the most incredible young man I can imagine, and this is who I'm going to see when this boy in front of me is being aggressive. I am going to imagine him amazing and so I, I embarked on a new path of not parenting from fear and Thomas, it was this, it's actually almost shocking today, even speaking about it now, it's like almost shocking to me how he relaxed and seeing how I welcomed the wholeness of who he was and made room for his feelings. And it was like, it was like he just adapted, it's like this person opened up and I just had this profound realization because at the core of my heart, I'm an educator. And all of a sudden I thought, here's all these kids that come to me at school and I'm only seeing them in their stuck phase. As a parent, I have the gift of seeing Thomas before he was stuck. I knew this beautiful, sweet toddler before he got stuck in a period that was was a challenging. He hadn't adapted yet. He had a lot of change going on, and I was keeping him there. I was keeping him stuck in that role. But I thought, here I am as an educator. I don't have this gift. I'm having kids showing up who who are often stuck in this place, and I need to be their eyes for them. I need to help them see themselves through my eyes because I have this capacity to lead them to see themselves differently. And it was absolutely profoundly changed my path as an educator when I realized that like, no, no baby's born bad. Some of us are stuck in, for whatever reason, for whatever lives we've had, for for whatever reflection we've seen on ourselves in the eyes of others, many children are stuck and we have an incredible capacity as leaders to help, to invite expression, to normalize feelings, and to help children to be, the, to be a child's eyes for them until they can see their own beauty, if that makes sense. I don't know. I've been talking a lot here. No,
0: I it, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense. And, you know, I think even uh, about my start into school leadership, right? I was content being an amazing classroom teacher. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, my work was fulfilling. Uh, I was excited to go to school every day. Um, And so there was no reason to change, you know. But at some point, my friend DeAndre, uh, he was episode one. So for Ruckus Makers listening, like that was the first episode we were working out and he just called out my leadership gifts and strengths. Right. So I I wouldn't say that I was stuck. I was I was happy right with where I'm at. But being somebody else's eyes to call forth what the gifts and, and the potential that you see in somebody uh is an incredible gift back to that person so that's that's what i'm hearing and it makes a ton of sense i have to just pause real quick because i know uh Thomas is an educator, so I'd love to uh, thank him for his service, and and I also know he listens to the podcast, so Thomas, yeah, you're a ruckus maker, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of our community Uh and uh, making change in education around the world, buddy, so proud of you, Uh, so I just wanted to do that real quick, and and before, you know, I want to dig deeper into how to call out these gifts in our students, but... Uh, Prior to that, you know, you mentioned, you know, really you had this mirror moment. You you had to sit with this uncomfortable truth where you realized the impact you had on Thomas's life. And you did that through journaling, which is such an incredible just tool to have in your leadership tool belt. And if there's one thing uh, that I could encourage, you know, all the ruckus makers listening to do, if you don't have a journal habit, that's something fairly easy to pick up that will have incredible return of investment, but do you mind Hannah, you know, maybe it's a free flowing structure. I have questions that I ask myself every day, but what, what is it for you when you, when you journal?
1: So for me, it's interesting when I journal because journals, journaling is big for me and it's actually something, it's funny that you say this about, you know, inviting this. This is actually something I also give um, every student on their first day with a personal message on the front cover because of my own experience. Every student, when they arrive um, gets a journal, that's unique, like a unique journal. They're not like mass, and in the front, front um, inside flap, slap, I uh, I write a, a message for them. But um, for me, it's a really inside-out process in which I I've had to sort of learn across the years to not make it my place of perfect. I used to imagine that someone might read it one day. If that sounds kind of funny, and so I had this sort of external consciousness, if that makes sense, and I had to really find a place where I could just be messy. I could just really be authentic in that I could let out, um, let out the bad as well as the good. I could be, I could have something I'm grateful for, which is something I like to do is express something I'm grateful for, but also be really real in that room for sadness. I think sometimes we don't make a lot of room to let that out. So room for the ugly as well as the gratitude. Yeah.
0: Appreciate that. And I love that you give, you know specific um not you know just this this average or whatever journal to your students it's not mass produced but it's it's unique and personalized the the message you put on the front flap do you already know the kids a bit or are you just uh pulling yeah. from inspiration okay
1: Yeah. So what I do is, um, so I, once I've met the kids, I usually get it a few weeks in. I have, um, then I'll try and find, I don't, as you know, it's a a budding relationship. So I'll try and match Mm -hmm. a journal to what I think they'll want. I'll put a message. And then we have many types of journaling because the written word isn't always every student's natural medium for expression. So we have collage journals where we have people can cut and paste um, um, and put pictures in, we have days where we crayon journal because that kind of creates what you put in there. It makes more room for messy too, (laughs) for kids to be more free in that sort of place of percolation of self sort of, yeah.
0: This idea of being somebody else's eyes and and calling Mm -hmm. kids to who they are in the future, we heard a bit of that in your story about Thomas, but for the ruckus maker listening who wants to do that, maybe it's a principal who wants to do it with his staff and students. Maybe it's a classroom teacher who wants to do it with her students. What, what advice would you have to the ruckus maker listening?
1: Yeah. So I think that we can have a profound, absolutely profound impact. Our leadership that children can, you know, look to us and, and be led by us. I think one of the tools that I use a lot is something called reframing. And so what reframing does is that it looks at the strength of a child in the midst of, of a perceived failure. So not at their strengths when they're actually doing well. That's great too. And those are easier to articulate. But what I found can make a... Per- Found difference in a child's life is to look at their strength when they're not doing well and I'm going to give you a little example of what that might look like and I'll use a, 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 an example here for my daughter but also classroom is that my daughter when she was about grade two would forget her lunch kit all the time and you know it didn't matter how many times I reminded her she'd forget in the morning I'd say okay don't you know Mads don't forget your lunch kit yeah I'm on it I'm on it and come home Ah, oh, I forgot my lunch kit so you know I try little notes in her cubby didn't work whatever and then she went for about a month remembering her lunch kit and about a month later, she came home and said, ah, oh, mom, I forgot my lunch kit. And I almost went into an egg mode. Ah, oh, seriously, Mads, are you kidding again? And instead, I remembered to reframe because I'm trying so hard to help my kids, ex- help my students and children experience themselves differently, to know what that feels like viscerally. So in that moment, instead I said, you must be so proud of yourself. You went for a whole month remembering remember your lunch kit. And she was like, I know. And it was the exact same moment where she could have felt her irresponsibility or felt how responsible she was becoming. Nothing was different about that moment. It was what I chose to focus on. And I see this in classrooms. Like I'll see a child, for example, who, who um, I'm working on impulse control, who trying not to hit someone. And I say, okay, you know, what are you going to do when that comes up inside you? And I see the child says, okay, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to make fists and I'm going to hold my shirt and I'm going to clench and it. I'm, and I'm going to do this instead of hitting. And then I see the child do this for a few seconds. Let's see. It doesn't last that long. And Eventually they still hit. I will focus on you are getting there. You held off. I saw you. I saw you holding on your fist. I saw you trying not to hit. You held up for 4 seconds and yeah, okay, your frustration got the better of you and that's not great and I'm not saying we won't deal with that. But holy smokes, you're getting there and I noticed. I saw it. So what I'm doing is when the child's experiencing themselves as irresponsible or lacking impulse control or not being caring or all those things, instead of saying, "You did it again. You hit." I'll focus on the seconds where they were trying to stop. And I think that what we lean into as people, what our caring leaders reflect back to us in our growth for the children that are the most challenged and having so much trouble to developmentally get to the place where we want them to, instead of waiting till they're there and then congratulating them, these tiny little moments in which they can experience their goodness, help them grow that goodness, if that makes sense.
0: Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's... the image I like to use a lot is a coin, right? You can choose what side you look at, but uh, you're describing the same situation and just uh, choosing, you know, a better perspective to have one that's more helpful, you know, and people, people want to be recognized, right? So for just recognizing the bad or when a student makes a mistake, yeah, then it almost becomes just so frustrating. This is my identity. And like you said, I'm stuck. Still, or is we, I am. <laughs> yeah. Or we could say, you know what? I noticed all the good stuff you do too. You know, not just Absolutely. this thing. So that's yeah. super, super helpful. Before the break, I wanna, I wanna talk to you or have you share a story too. This is another emotional and gripping story about a, a young uh, female refugee um, that that you worked with in Canada. And can you share that for us?
1: Absolutely. So I'm gonna call this young woman Rose, but this is a young woman who came to me in class. She, she was a a girl who had been living in Iran and her, her parents were having, she was just a toddler when this happened. She was three years old. Her parents were having an argument on their balcony and her father was being very aggressive towards her mother. And she says her, her family, her mom says she went in to protect her mom and, and from her father, and her father actually threw her off of the balcony from three stories high. And this young woman was left with physical disabilities and um, intellectual disabilities. Her mother fled with her to a refugee camp in Turkey, where they lived for eight years before they were um, came to Canada as refugees. And I started working with this young woman. I mean, she was a, a part of the class. And we were at that time exploring a lot of uh, drama. And um, she was in my class. And she, we were doing a lot of social justice work through drama so we, our class was do you know doing things on the environment and all these different topics and kids were exploring these things and this young woman decided to after being with me for almost 3 years so we knew each other very well but a very close relationship she felt very safe with the class and she decided to create, a, create her recreate her story through drama without words though just by acting it out and it was so So powerful. It's probably one of my most powerful experiences was watching this group of kids recreate the scene by scene through inquiry-based learning, where they would say, how could we show her falling? How could we show her in pain? How could we show a refugee camp? And they just did it scene by scene. and. At the end, it was just this powerful experience. We decided to share it. We were uh, touring a social justice show from schools and she decided to share it at her school. She was bullied so badly at um, the school. And she said, you know, kids, she had quite a limp. She had her fa- facial features were uneven and kids were horrible to her. And I said, are you sure you're going to be safe to share this? Like, how does this feel? She really wanted to. And at the end of the sharing, which was the most powerful piece, she shared this piece called Each of Us Has a Story about her story. And kids flocked to her. They were so kind. They were hugging her. They were saying, we just didn't know. We just didn't know that this had happened to you. And I, I went home that night. I remember talking to my husband. I was so angry. And I was trying to figure out why I was so angry. And the class was so angry. The next day as we were sitting, talked about this. Instead of us being happy, we were like, what is this? Why is this tweaking us the wrong way? And I realized like, they shouldn't have had to know, like they shouldn't have had to know her story in order to be kind to her. And I thought, what is this about this? Like, like, I don't know you well, but I should, I don't know when I go to the grocery store, the person at the checkout, I don't know the gas station attendant, but I should, I'm an adult. So I have the, um, The breadth of life, I suppose, to know that everybody's had joy, everybody's had pain, everybody has a story, and that I can hold that when I meet people, and I shouldn't have to know those things to be to be kind to them. What I realized in that moment is that kids don't seem to know that anymore, and perhaps I was wrong in expecting that, and that we need to be creating these, we need to be creating school environments in which kids come to know this, to know their humanity in a different way perhaps because we're a culture that's lost a sense of human connection we're we're a culture a disconnected culture perhaps because we only have playdates right now we're not playing with just the people who happen to be around us in the same ways that we used to our cultures changed so much perhaps there's so much that we're not attuning to each other naturally in the ways that we used to that we, now we need to be conscious of this as education as educators how can we be bringing our our students to, to each other's humanity. And it was such a learning lesson for me in how these, how play or how emotion, how expressive arts, how, whatever it is that we can do in our classrooms, how we need to be coming to one another's humanity because kids weren't picking up on it. Kids, once they were brought to it, they got it but they weren't there before that. And I started to see it over and over again with my students with Down Syndrome, with my students, all, all these stories. I started to realize that kids were not sense, not sensing one another's humanity. And instead we have these cultures of not teaching bullying. And this is not about teaching. How do we, you can't teach someone to have feelings. Like you can't teach someone to You can model it, you can, you can um script it, but feelings are awakened. Like you can't teach someone to love. Like you can create the conditions in which love can grow, you can create the conditions in which caring can arise in a person. And we need to be conscious of that, I think, in our school systems. We need to be creating ways for kids to connect. And I think that's what the work I was doing in social justice was that this naturally happened. When these kids work together and listen to each other's stories collectively, collective storytelling. I didn't have to teach them to be kind. They sensed each other's humanity. There's a big difference there.
0: Big, big difference. I think this is a good uh, point to pause quickly for a message from our sponsors. But when uh, we return, I'd love to hear more about what school leaders can do to create those conditions, right? Where where emotions are awakened, where kids naturally sense that it's great to be kind and to feel and and this kind of stuff. So we'll be right back. (music) Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. Apply now for our cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. We're back with Hannah Beach, an award-winning educator, author, and keynote speaker. Uh, Most recently, she's co-authored Reclaiming Our Students, Why Children Are More Anxious, Aggressive, and Shut Down Than Ever, and What We Can Do About It. Uh, Hannah, you just shared a, a gripping story about uh, a woman you worked with, a refugee, and uh, how drama in, in play and acting out uh, helped her classmates really connect with her on a new level. And you also introduced this idea that, you know, maybe f- feeling, right, you you use the example of love. You can't teach a person how to love, but you can more invite them and a- awaken that emotion. So. Uh, school leaders, I'm sure, want their students to connect on a, a deeper level and, and to um, see the humanity in each other. And so what can they do to create the conditions to allow that to to grow and thrive?
1: It was interesting. Like, I, I, when it, when Tamara and I were writing our book, we actually looked at the states to um, a penitentiary called Sing Sing in New York. And they have this incredible program. And I thought, if it can work with this, with it's a maximum security prison for men. And they have this program where people sing together, dance together and do drama together. And their recidivism rate typically without doing that program was 67% of people returning after doing the program was 10%, 10%. And I thought, we all want to deal with bullying. We all want to have a school climate of kindness. But I think, truthfully, we're going about it the wrong way. We're going about it as if you can teach it through your head, that you can teach through a campaign not to bully or to care about people. But I think we need to go back to the oldest wisdom. This is why, since the dawn of time, people have sung together, danced together, played together through the arts. We've gathered to watch like plays in ancient Greek times, where you'd watch the story of loss or play or tragedy, the human experience played in front of you. And I think that it's more about kind of going back to our old roots and looking at when we were doing this research with this, with this um, prison work, people are when we can sense our humanity together, it's not about being taught. It's that all of a sudden you're like, I'm you just notice the humanity because you're, singing together or or creating one another's stories together no longer do you have to be taught it. It's not something you have to remember it's therefore it's an inside out process and I think that that's not that complicated because you don't have to be an expert. you shouldn't have to be an expert to do this. It should be it's intuitive if, if we could stories also help kids um, often to awaken their hearts because they're one step removed. So you might have feelings for a character in a book for example, it doesn't feel like you're defensive. If you're a really tough person, you have a little guard around your heart, you might feel for the character much more so than I said, if I said to you, how are you feeling? If a person's very defended and they're emotionally, they're like, I'm fine, whatever, I don't care. Don't care at all. But you can awaken it more gently when it's not about you. And That's what they're noticing at the prisons. When you're acting out um, other stories, you get the inside out experience of what that feels like without it feeling threatening. You're not talking about you. And these are simple things that we can embed and weave into our classrooms is that we have a lot of kids who are shut down. I mean, we have an epidemic of anxiety, aggression, and shut down, like whatever, don't care, doesn't matter to me. We need to be like, how can we gently awaken hearts? How can we do this in a way that's, just natural and I think we can look to their oldest wisdom of time since the dawn of time people have told stories around campfires they have sung they have danced not not the cool type of dancing we have to be perfect I'm talking like process oriented just fun I mean people still do that when you're you know we still have this alive and flourishing and raves today and this is what we do our when our bodies paired with um you know a flow experience of music we I mean music is even to this day this is what you're in the car and you turn on music and it can make you cry. It can make you feel, it can make you sing. This is, I think we can't divorce education from the heart. Like we are emotional beings. And if we're going to pretend we're not emotional beings, there's just not going to work. Like no method, no specific method will ever change a child or a school. What changes people are transformative experiences with other people and feeling because you, like I don't know, I guess I can say it like this. You don't change when you know something. Like I might know people are starving, for example, in another part of the world, but I'm not going to do anything about it unless I feel something. We don't change when we know, we change when we feel. When I moved, when I I can know all sorts of things, and it might be intellectually interesting, but I don't change unless I moved to change. I need to feel something about it. And I think we're going at changing the hearts of our students. Many school systems are going at it through the head not through the heart and change comes from a place of feeling. It doesn't come from knowing something.
0: I'm constantly telling ruckus makers I work with, you know, uh, with your slide deck or whatever, this presentation, I mean, it is about, it is about story and it's about connecting with people's hearts. And, and from there, you know, uh, you'll get their heads and, and you'll get them to take action and, you know, whether it's, it's theater or whether it's uh, music, there's just so much power there. Like you said, it's been since the the dawn of time we've communicated in this way. I remember sitting in this uh, old um, place to see uh theater in Cyprus. It's like a thousand years old, right? Like an outside amphitheater, you know, and, and stone um, seats and all this kind of stuff. And we weren't actually watching a drama at that time, but you could just, you could feel the history and everything that had happened there. And it was amazing. And the other thing I want to share is uh, just recently finished this uh, coaching intensive. And one thing that they did every day was they played some music, they had us dance, they had us connect with our bodies because uh, it really it really grounded us and helped us be more present and uh, connected to each other, which is um, sometimes challenging, you know, in a, in a virtual environment. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I appreciate
0: all that you're saying. And I think it's important to note, and I'm pretty sure ruckus makers listening know this, but uh, still will say it do what you can to protect the arts you know it's crazy to me when they get cut from from curriculum especially when we're talking about the gravity and the value that they offer all human beings our students and our staff so before I get to the last two questions I ask every guest on the show I just wanted to see if there's anything else uh you wanted to mention about reclaiming our students I know that the, the book is out but I think you've Also create some video content. So if you don't mind sharing what that's all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so Tamara and I just talking to teachers, uh, educators during this pandemic, they were just saying, you know, what we're looking for is kind of like a two more... have some videos to be welcomed into the process in a way that could hold them a bit more right now because a lot of people were just like exhausted of course um so we created a series uh, we created 12 videos uh with um how to become the leader kids need to looking at the emotion behind all the behaviors we see whether it's a video on you know distract what the behavior distracted kids resistant kids anxious kids aggressive kids and people could take um, it's a series you could follow along with us for the whole journey, which is 12 weeks, or you could just be, you know what, I'm only interested in shifting the negative identity of my class or my this child. I just want to take this one. So they work as a one of or a series of 12. We wanted it to feel like the content was important, but also that the delivery felt warm, not like not like um a training video, if that makes sense. We wanted it to be meaningfully welcoming educators into a kind of like a village, like join our village, be part of this sort of process alongside us uh bringing back that sort of feeling so we ran it for 12 weeks with pe- educators all around the world we filmed it and uh now we have it on our website we're bring, basically bringing the book to life through 12 12 videos
0: brilliant and uh We'll have that linked up for Ruckus Makers in the show notes. I believe the website's reclaimingourstudents.com. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Cool. So you can get the, uh, the books and access to the videos if that's something you're interested in. Well, Hannah, I reserve these questions for all the guests on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Curious if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a day. What would your message say?
1: Okay. I have a message here. So here we go. Please leave your perfect at the door. We welcome you where you're at. Let's explore together. Now I needed to have both because half the kids I work with are striving for perfection, which means they're never going to get to the beauty of the kernel of who they are because they're stuck. And the other half of the kids don't even try, they're not, you know, striving for perfection. They don't even see themselves as successful at all. So I want to welcome with them where they're at um, and let's explore together because I think that's what it is. It's about entering exploration mode, but doing it together.
0: You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school, Hannah? And what would be your top three priorities?
1: Okay, so my dream school, this is a big question. My dream school would interweave all spaces for outdoors and nature and arts into every classroom. So every classroom would have a large space, even if it was a math room, for drama and movement in case people wanted to dance their math equations, as well as a door to the outside. So so instead of it being like, this is the drama room, this is the nature room, every space is infused with room for expression and the outdoors. It would be attached to a community center. So my building would be attached to a community center in which there would be babies and toddlers coming in as well as senior citizens so that there was mentors as well as children mentoring so that it more modeled and echoed a real life community if that makes sense so that elders could come into the classrooms and read and share their stories and that we would be awakening hearts through the actual experiential living of living together and I'd also change how people eat together. I think one of the most in human ways when we're establishing relationship is how we eat and I think schools have got it wrong and when we look at dinner parties and the ways that we celebrate family and we center ourselves by anchoring ourselves every day together at the meal as at the table then we go to school and children eat very quickly separately and I think we're missing a key way of building relationship and community I think we have to establish beautiful rituals of music playing and sitting at big round tables and eating eating with with people in a beautiful way Now, you wanted my top three priorities. Number one, opportunities to develop relationships with every child. Every child seen and known, intentional, welcoming, and matchmaking rituals as a school team so that we'd be getting to know, because this is all change is grounded in relationship. All change is grounded. And the arts need to be grounded first in relationship for children to feel safe to explore. My next priority would be making room for emotional expression. As we talked about earlier, with, um, you know, even with Thomas letting out some room, uh, as well as uh, Rose making room for that, so that where people could experience their humanity together, where people are singing, dancing, creating together. Yes. And my third is making room for play and exploration, so that our schools aren't about outcome, it's about helping children to find their own questions in themselves instead of helping children give answers. So that they this would be infused into all experiential education and and plays that there's room for the play mode because I think that as a culture we've replaced play with entertainment and so I want our classrooms to be places where play becomes infused into all learning.
0: Well Hannah thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast we covered a lot of ground today and of everything we talked about what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: When you light up their hearts, anything is possible. So I think that that's the step one is, is relationship, light up their hearts, and then watch it unfold.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, Daniel at com, or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at Leaders betterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.